Hello and welcome to If Homeschool Walls Could Talk. I'm your host, Jenny Hahn. Ever since I started this podcast, I knew I wanted to interview Zach Morris, partly because he's a homeschool dad. And if homeschoolers are rare, homeschool dads are even more rare. So I was really curious about their family story and how they decided to have him be the stay-home parent and be the homeschool dad, but also because my kids think Zach's like awesome and they love him as a mentor because he challenges how they think and he teaches them things that are different than how moms would teach. And they really think that's, that's awesome. What I didn't know is how much Zach has been through and his experiences in life have been very challenging. And that ended up being a really meaningful experience for me in listening to that and seeing the world a little bit differently because I got to have a peek on how he sees it. So I think you'll enjoy this podcast and thank you for listening. Hi, Zach. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, I'm excited. Your story is one that I've mostly heard from other people, like just bits and pieces of it. So I'm excited to hear it from you today. And um, I'm basically told you to tell like your entire life story. So feel free to like, you know, edit whatever you want, whatever you feel like you want to share. Start from the beginning then? Yeah, why not? Go for it. All right, we'll do that. Moved from Washington when I was two up to Alaska and then moved from Alaska to Idaho when I was 10. And at, well, I should start with my all my mistakes started early. <laughs> <laughs> like so like it, all of us, yes. Yeah, so at 14, the summer before my freshman year, my brother was going to be a senior. And I was semi-friends with his friends enough to know that they would, they would hang out with me a little bit. And so they call me one day and they ask if I want to go hang out and they're seniors and I'm just getting into high school. And so we go and I get offered mushrooms and marijuana right off the bat. And so I was like, sure, you know, I'm young. I have no conscience. I'll try it. (laughs) And then it was just a massive downward spiral from there of some ups, but mostly downs. Yeah. So getting into, we'll bring this into the homeschool realm, but my ex- experience with high school was I was, I couldn't read from the transition from moving from Alaska to Idaho. They did things in third grade in Idaho that they didn't do in third grade in Alaska. And when I moved that transition, I skipped, like, I don't know how to read cursive hardly because it was never taught to me Yeah, because it yeah. was skipped. And uh, so there were some things there. And then I had no parental oversight whatsoever because my parents didn't have much parental oversight. And so there was no accountability. And so I ended up dropping out of high school when I was 17 and working. I got my GED like a month after I dropped out or two months after. And then uh, moved into a house with some older guys, still massive amounts of drugs and partying all the way through. And a few, probably three months into my first house, I was living in with two other guys. Uh, Courtney moves in with me, my wife. And then there was four of us in there. And me and another roommate left and went on a fishing boat in Alaska and left her with my other roommate. And uh, that was a trip in itself because it was 16 hours a day, seven days a week for four months. 
oh, and you're wow. just kind of a zombie walking. Yeah, it was it was pretty. It, I did it for about two years, and it was it was worth it. It taught me a lot about myself, and I stopped doing that when I was almost twenty, and I got on another boat with a guy I knew from the town I lived in in Alaska, and that season ended up being a horrible season because it was too wet or too warm of weather. And so I got laid off, but no, nowhere to go. <laughs> and I was already living out of a backpack while working for this guy. And so I just wandered around. I was essentially homeless willingly. I could have went home anytime I wanted, but I just chose to stay there until the end of it. And that you just didn't, kind of, you didn't want to go home. It was, it was better to live out of the backpack than go home. Was that kind of uh, thinking or no, I was 19. So I don't think there was thinking. <laughs> it, was just, it was just i'm here my plane tickets for uh, about three and a half months from now i guess i'll go home then but it okay. kind of shaped the rest of my life as far as my mentality of you know a month into it i'm like i don't need a house i don't need a car i don't need all these things to live not comfortably but to live so that kind of set my minimalist mentality but it also paranoia bred from that circumstance too because i would get off of this fishing boat at two in the morning and smell like fish because i hadn't showered for five days and i'd been gutting fish and getting mm. splashed with guts and blood and so i just stank <laughs> badly <laughs> and then i get off at the unloading the boat at like two in the morning one or two in the morning and i have to go find a place to sleep in the woods in the most heavily populated bear country in parts of the oh world. Oh my gosh. So you yeah. smell you smelled like food. Yeah. For bears. Yeah. And so I would walk around town. I had I had a gun and everything that I had out every time. But you could I could hear I didn't think fear, but you're you know when you're nervous but you you're in control, but you're kind of shaky with that anticipation. Oh no, you're wired. Just wired. No. Yeah. I was just juiced yeah. up with my shotgun looking around every tree. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. And then I didn't. Have and you slept? Did you get any sleep? Yeah. After a while, that goes away. I don't know why. I think it's just because you get used to anything. Yeah. You can adapt to anything. If I had some run-ins with a few people and tourists, one of the instances I, I saw this from across this river as I was walking down this road after getting off the boat at two in the morning, and I saw this picnic table on this bank on the other side it's the gravelly beach i was like why is that over there that makes no sense but i'm gonna flip it over and put a tarp over it and sleep on it because it's safer than just i didn't even have a tent i just had a tarp and a sleeping bag oh, wow. and uh so i wake up in the morning and i just hear japanese language and i just see feet like up to the knee <laughs> all the way around me but i had a tarp pulled over this picnic table so i couldn't see out of it and I poke my homeless, dirty head out of there. And I pop my head out of there and I have my gun in my hand because it was like a sudden wake up, you know. And I'm already paranoid being in the woods. And all there's probably seven seven people that took pictures of me. <laughs> Just turning my back on this. Stuff. And then there was probably another 50 people. And right above my head, I turn around and I'm looking around. There's a sign that says like Raptor Visitor Center. 200 yards this way 
<laughs> and it's like one of the the four places you can go on that island for tourism when a cruise ship comes in. <laughs> that's where you picked. <laughs> yeah, that's where I picked to sleep. Uh, yeah so how long did that go on that you were living like that that was about four months like oh that's right because you had a plane ticket yeah yeah so that was that was an interesting experience and it kind of shaped it took 10 years for me to get over that to even understand or to come to the realization of why i had a heightened sense of paranoia all the time like i couldn't relax because of that, just being wired all the time and just ready, that fight or flight mode. Yeah. And it was just instilled in me from having fear of my life out there. And yeah. I didn't realize it. For, I never liked going to the woods with my kids or my wife or anything. I just like to be out there alone because I didn't have to, when I'm out there with someone else, I feel like I have to worry about them. And yeah. I still kind of have that, but it's not nearly as heightened as it was. Would you say that's like PTSD? Like you experienced PTSD from that or? Probably. Yeah. I get, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I've had, I was in a horrific car crash about 15 years ago and the PTSD after that, it lingered for a long time. When, and you just would, that, yeah. when I would be in a car, you know, even if yeah. I wasn't driving, if I saw a truck, like the one that I was yeah. in an accident with, it would like. Yeah, like you describing being wired. That's what it felt like. Like I couldn't even like verbalize what was going on with me. It's yeah, you know, it's I an uncontrollable sensation. Yeah. Like and even you if you're like, thinking logically about it, your body is doing something different. There's no there's a lack there's a breakdown of communication between your body and mind with that kind of yeah. stuff, I think. <laughs> yeah. So you said it took like ten years. Yeah, to, to not to out. even realize that that's what it was. Oh wow. I just was like, I guess this is how, this is how humans feel. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing though, how we just kind of write that off, right? Like we could go, well, yeah. this is just is what it is. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So tell me what, after you went back home and this is a home to Idaho. Yes. Home to Idaho. I just, you know, I, I almost want to say I don't remember because of all the abuse of drugs and alcohol <laughs> for, yeah. A long time. Well, you probably don't. You probably yeah, don't remember. I don't. I mean, that's one the of whole, from when I was 14 to 25, it's just, I, I have no reference of time of when things happened. Yeah. So I remember the event and kind of my age, but I don't, I can't place most of it in the timeline. So what, what made the difference to be able to get off the drugs then? Like what changed? What happened? Uh, well, I went... On the, I guess backing up a bit, I went on the fishing boat because I was selling drugs at the time and getting into some crowds. I would just remember sitting there high on this guy's couch who I was starting to run with, you know, worse and worse crowds. And they went and murdered someone and then went to Mexico. Be over something under a thousand dollars that they owed. Some this guy owed him for drugs. And I just remember sitting there thinking like, I can't it's going to go one way or the other for me. Like I have to get out or I'm just going to be where those guys are at in a few years. Cause that's where I was heading. So I got on the fishing boat and went sober instantly, which was horrible. And I was alone. Didn't know anybody on the boat. 
cold turkey. Yeah. And I was a minority where there was 250 people on the boat. It was a processor. It was a 680 foot ship. And there's people from Africa, Mexico, all over the world, mainly Africa and Mexico. And they would get their, you know, work visas to come and work and then go home. And there wasn't, especially in the factory part where I worked, there was not very many just white Americans or white people, people. And so they treated you different. It was, it was strange. It was my first experience with that. And I didn't really, well, just yeah, they were like racial, like racist. They made the white people do the crappy work. They yelled at you. They treated you different. It was just a eye-opening experience. And I never had that problem because I never, I don't think about, racism <laughs> and so yeah well until you grew you're up white in idaho right like yeah in alaska idaho. when we moved from alaska to idaho i remember saying to my mom i was like wow look there's a black person it's like they're real because <laughs> i'd never seen one <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> ever not even yeah, on tv like idaho. <laughs> oh wow yeah we just had radio and static up there so where we're at is you've got back on the fishing boat and went cold turkey, and now that's what you're doing. So what happened then? Well, yeah. Well, even How after I got off the boat, it you know there was multiple relapses throughout the years. And like I said, I don't think I didn't quit smoking marijuana until five years ago or six years ago. Yeah. Yeah, when we lived in La Center is when I quit. And I was well, just that's... done one day. But after a while, once I got a little older, I think it actually helped me because it would, like we were talking about that separation from your body and your mind not communicating. Yeah. When it numbed my body enough to where my head can think and not have to worry about what my body is feeling. So, so I really, was able to like, analyze. Oh. Yes. I was self-medicating, but with yeah. a, a purpose. I wasn't just trying to numb the feeling. I was able to think clearly and think why... Why am I like this? How can I fix it? And it helped yeah. me through it. And then when I was done, I was just done. And it was over one day. I just did you ever, in all of that time, did you ever think about getting outside help? Uh, I did. I went to a therapist and because I had this problem of not wanting to be around people after I wasn't. And I just saw that lifestyle of solitude in the woods. And I was like, that's what I want. I don't want any of what civilization has to offer people are cruel to each other there's you're just you're working you're living to work you're living to go to your job every day and that's it i just didn't see the happiness in it and that's that's partially why i'm a stay-at-home parent even though there's a whole story that goes along with that too Um, which i hope which i hope you'll tell us yeah it's not too exciting but yeah uh, but still, I mean, like there's, there's such a degree of self-awareness too of what you're describing of going like, this isn't going to make me happy. To yeah. To and so I went to a, a therapist down. and I'm talking, she's just like, what? I, you know, I tell her like my problem with civilization and she's like, yeah, I've talked to people like that. And she's like, what are you, what are you thinking you're going to do? I was like, I just want to, you know, she's like, what'll make you happy? I was like, move into an island in Alaska, building a house illegally and hunting and fishing illegally as much as I want. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and then I stopped there. And she said, maybe I should have went and got another opinion. She's like, I don't know if I can help you. <laughs> and that oh. was the end of it. She didn't even bill me for it. It was about 20 minutes 
How many sessions? Just the one, one session? Just one for about 20 minutes and just described to her my disdain <laughs> for society. Oh my gosh. And I'm not so much that way anymore. Granted, I still think people are the same. It's just, you know, you're more choosy of who you're around, I guess. Yeah. But, Okay, so disdain for people in general. You're married and you have kids. Yeah. How did that happen? (laughs) It's a struggle because I still have this other part of me that wants to live in the wilderness, I guess you would say. But it's just not feasible to do with a family of little kids. So that's still... I mean, we all have dreams, right? That's just one of them. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, my husband yeah. and I were just talking last night. He's like, ideally, I wouldn't have to go work, go to work at all. Oh, He's like, yeah. that's pretty much my dream is we would just like bum around the world and never really settle anywhere. And But yeah. this is the path I picked. And, now and I'm you got to, yeah, you got to, yeah, you made your bed, you got to sleep in it, <laughs> which is fine. And oh, it's so- not that I'm not, I'm perfectly happy now. I'm just that's good. cynical towards talking. I'm never serious with most people unless I know you really well, because I don't see the point in starting a relationship with someone I'm going to see 20 times my whole life. Maybe if that yeah. makes sense, like even, even people at church or anything, it's, it's just a small circle. Cause I don't think no, I, friends last I, forever. I get it. So it sounds like, okay, this is like, I don't want to psychoanalyze you because no, I am not it. qualified to I do that. I am always up but for I, opinions and other points of views. Well, so we've done a lot of therapy at our house. Like we've got, I've got multiple kids with anxiety and depression. So we've done, you know, and one therapist recommended I read this book called Parenting from the Inside Out. And it's all about attachment theory. It was super eye-opening for me to go, oh, this is why I hold people at arm's length. And if someone gets emotional and cries, I find a reason to leave because <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't like it. Oh, see, my, so that's your coping mechanism for that. Mine is borderline antagonizing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's, get, that's one of the ways you can do it. Yeah. And I used to just thrive on making people feel in, in awkward moments because I didn't feel awkward. Okay. So yeah. So go back. So you knew Courtney this whole time. How did you guys end up being married and having kids together? We met in high school, like right before, uh, well, let me back up. And when I went into high school, my freshman year, I knew at one point there, I just knew it was going to be inevitable. I wasn't active in church. I didn't have a conscience. I was like, there's going to be sexual activity in high school. So I was like, I'm going to just pick one and that's it because there was a lot of STDs in my school and pregnant <laughs> and, and pregnancies at one yeah, point. And, yeah. yeah. All kinds of stuff. Well, even at one point we had the highest suicide rate in the country at our high school. Oh my gosh. Where yeah. was this in Idaho? In Nampa, Idaho. There was like six kids Nampa. in one year who or four or four or six that committed suicide. Oh my goodness. And, uh, and so I was like, I'm just going to pick one and that's, and that'll be that. <laughs> until I get married well, and it just happened, you know, it's my wife. So, <laughs> well, that worked out. Was it wrong? Yes. But you know, a lot of things are wrong. <laughs> so yeah, repentance is for. she came from a very different spiritual or, you know, non-Christian background kind of Christ was real, but so was Buddha and all the other gods, if you will. And religions had validity to them. 
And I, I was like, I knew in my mind that that would be a big thing one day. Religion and politics can destroy a marriage just as easy as anything else. Yeah. So I was like, she's got to be Mormon and she can't be a liberal. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and so we're sitting in the car one day after this, you know, the fishing boat stuff. And we're, and, uh, I think she was getting ready to go to France for the summer to work. And I was going to go on the fishing boat again. And I told her, I was like, you, maybe it was right after. No, it was right before. I was like, you either have to be LDS or there's no point in us being together anymore. So she just got baptized, started taking the discussion and got baptized without really believing in it. But, you know, it worked out in the long run. She believes it. (laughs) She believes it now. She's always prayed. That's the one thing her mom always told her to pray. So she's always prayed. And she was just told early on while dating me and when we first met that God told her that was going to be her husband. And she stuck through the most insane punishment anyone could ever ever go through. Just because when we got married, I, I didn't quit drugs. I would be gone. I would almost do it intentionally to see how much she would take because she had taken so much at that point that, and I never was unfaithful to her or anything. It was just, I would leave for two or three days on a drug binge and not come home. And she'd have no idea where I was at. And so it was things like that, that I I don't know how or why she stuck around until she told me that. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like she really, she had faith in you, you know, that you were going to pull it together. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it was faith. I think it was faith in God that he said, that's who you're going to marry. And she was just loyal to God through that. And it wasn't until probably five years ago, maybe six years ago that she was happy with me. She still loved me, but she wasn't, you know, didn't like who I was really, which is. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't pleasant. I was never happy. Do you feel pleasant and happy now? Yeah. I do. Yeah. That's awesome. That was part of the quitting marijuana was, you know, you can make personal covenants with God between you and God. And I just said, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to smoke this stuff anymore, but it stops me from feeling that way. If you'll take this feeling from me, I won't use this drug. And it hasn't, it's been good ever since. That's beautiful. Yeah. So how did you end? So you knew that you never really wanted to do the day in, day out job. Yeah. Like the soul crushing grind. (laughs) Yeah. Because you're living to work, not working. You're working. Yeah. Living to work and working to live. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I honestly believe there are people who figure out that they find the right work. They do. Where they're, they feel like, you know, they're full of mission and purpose and this is what they're meant to be doing. And, and I have, but I don't, I don't know if everybody like hardly anybody reaches that. I feel like. I don't think so either. You have, most people have a job. Those who have a career is they're married to it. That's their life. But most people just have a job and they would be just as happy at one job or the other, whichever one paid more, they're going to pick. <laughs> that's, that's remember, the only exciting factor for most people. Yeah. Well, and I remember my father-in-law telling my husband like early in his school career that it didn't really matter what he majored in or didn't really matter what kind of job, you know, that his real happiness in life was going to be his family. Yeah. But there's like a balance there 
because then like Mike didn't really pursue what he wanted to in college. Cause he's like, I guess I should just get an engineering degree because I know I'll be always be able to get a job. But then he was super unhappy being an engineer. And like, it took years for us to like change the whole course of his life <laughs> to shift it to something he actually does like. Yeah. You know, so there's happy, gotta be both have to, both have to work. Cause when you're yeah. unhappy at work, your life sucks. Even if you have yeah, a good you family life at home. Yeah. And if yeah. your work is amazing, but your family life sucks, then your work is going to suck as well. Yeah. <laughs> Both have yeah. to be happy. Exactly. I totally agree. So you guys are married. You're still using drugs and it wasn't as severe after 25, especially when we moved, when we moved to Washington, it wasn't nearly as bad. But then I just had to deal with stuff too, mentally. Yeah. <laughs> and we moved here. So I was in college in Idaho for one semester and I became friends with my uh, instructor and it was for a metal fabrication. And he's like, I'm going to be quitting because the school is changing owners from you know, this school to that school and I don't like their policies, so I'm leaving. But I can get you a job at this place I used to work at in Vancouver. And I'm like, oh, no way. I was like, Vancouver. I was like, that sounds awesome. And so I go home and I'm looking at Vancouver, British Columbia, and I'm all excited. Courtney, oh no. Courtney's all excited, and we're yeah. <laughs> and uh, I know where this is going. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so I talk to him, and he's like, "No, Vancouver, Washington." I was like, "Where is that? <laughs> Never heard of it." So me and four other guys come out for a job interview, and we stay in downtown Vancouver. And I'm like, "This place is awful." You know, this is like <laughs> this is like ten years ago, twelve years ago. I was like, "This is a." Like the bad side of town in downtown Vancouver is where we stayed. Oh I'm like, gosh. this is a horrible place. I was like, I don't want to. Anywhere I went, it wanted me to get on the freeway, it seemed like. So I hated it. <laughs> and uh, wow. so we move here. So we do the interview, go back home, and they call. And they, like four days later, and be like, you got the job. You got to be here in two weeks. So we're like, oh, okay. But up to that time, we had moved. I think as of now, we have moved 36 times since we've been. 17. Oh my goodness. And so when we moved out here, we had a short bed truck and her car. We had, we have no bed, no dresser, no nothing. We were just mobile. We could be out of an apartment in a day and be into a new one in the same day and unpacked. So we just kept it mobile. And then I got out here and accepting the job was under the premise of, we're going to put you through our apprenticeship program. So you can be a journeyman. It takes X amount of time. And you'll get into it in the fall. So we come out in November. I know we'll get into it in the spring. Come out in November on Thanksgiving Day, start working. And I'm asking the guy who hired me, who was in charge of it, you know, when when is the school starting? When are you putting me in it? And he just beat around the bush for seven or eight months. Oh, and by the way, I have an authority figure problem too. That'll never, oh. go, that'll never go away. But I kept a lid on it for a long time. Until he, he kept saying, he's like, one day he's like, you got to work here for five years before you can be in, a, in the apprenticeship program. And that just, and this me. is the, yeah. this is the first time you mentioned that, like in the interview, yeah. you didn't know that. No, no. In the interview, oh, he, how told manipulative. Me it was, he told me it was springtime. He's like, Sp the pro program starts in the spring. And, and so I'm assuming, you know, all winter's going through. And then I keep asking, you know, and he keeps telling me, leading me on. And then he finally tells me. I just go ballistic on him and 
that I mean, I didn't get fired from it at all. He didn't even say anything because he knew he was in the wrong. But yeah, it's just a good thing he ducked. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, and so that that made me feel. And my first day on the job, I get there and they were they they had hired too many people. So my foreman's like, "I'll send them across the street." And I get there and there I, I, there's nobody there. So I'm just sitting there in this 300 foot long bay with nothing on my first day. So I was like, oh, that's, I feel valued. That's good. Oh, man. And so I just kind of went downhill from there. And the baby was born. Pierce was born. A week later, I found out I had cancer. Four, like three months later. I can't remember what the timeline was. I find out I have cancer. And then the day I find out, I'm getting surgery that same day. And so I obviously can't work. And then I have to get chemotherapy. And so through all of that, Courtney's like, I got to get a job and start going. And so she, by the time I could go back to work, she was already in, in school online and making more than I was. And so when I was able to work again, it just didn't make sense for me to go back to make less money. Yeah. And the track record of both jobs, I would have capped out at, a lo- like I think it was 26 an hour. Maybe it's gone up a little since then, but it's you know, you're stuck in that position versus her career could accelerate faster Yeah, being an accountant. So this is just kind of how it happened. So at what point were you guys like, cause if you're home with like babies really for a yeah. while, Oh yeah. At, w- at what point were you guys like, you know what, let's just homeschool. Uh, when common core came out and they were describing the math and I can't, do math very well anyway like i said i had a horrible experience in school i got put in the special ed classes with people in wheelchairs drooling on themselves because i never really learned how to read so i was like i guess i'm retarded and so that mentality kind of just followed me and i just never put any effort into my education because you know you're young and you go everything's off your based off feelings when you're young you can't think about anything hardly because you have no experience to put thought into it and so that just followed me around until I got older. I didn't read a book until I was 25 or 26. I had never read a full book. What book did you read? And then when what I started reading, book? I read, oh, I think it was a Terry Brooks, like fantasy novel, like the Sword of Shannara or something. Oh yeah. Good choice. One, one of those. Yeah. And then I just, that first month, I think I read around 30 books and just, was going through it. My reading skill improved, my comprehension of things improved. And it just, it just kind of took the governor, the governor off of me, if that makes sense. Yeah. The parameter, the, the parameters in which I operated opened up (laughs) and it expanded my mind because even though I wasn't learning anything per se, I was learning how to read and comprehend. And that was, that's, that's to me, that's all, not all that homeschooling should be focused on, but if you can read and comprehend well and problem solve, then your path is set for yourself. You can self-educate and do anything you want if you can read and understand and problem solve. It's interesting because I said almost something identical to my kids this morning because we were talking about critical thinking, like just to be able to examine your own thoughts, yeah. examine things from different angles. I said, like if you guys can critically think, like 
yeah. you're going to be okay. And you love to learn, like you have a passion for learning. You guys are going to be fine. It doesn't really matter what we do at home. You're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we have three non-negotiables for that. But yeah, it's reading, writing, and math. If you want to learn anything outside of that, and it takes between an hour and a half and two hours a day. Sometimes yeah. Pierce will read whatever he wants to read after that, and that's totally fine. But there's always a requirement for those three every day. That's awesome. So then tell me, like, so do you do everything? Does Courtney do anything for school? She does the math, and we do on, like, I think it's Khan Academy is what she does for math. Yeah, that's a great resource. Yeah. Yeah. And other than that, I do everything else unless they have specific questions for her. But it, yeah. one day, Pierce, and my wife is infinitely more intelligent than me in, <laughs> in as far as book smarts go. She's like a yeah. prodigy. When she was reading by the age of three out of the dictionary, her voice, she, I don't even know how to describe it. She reads 950 words a minute. Oh, my goodness. So she just flies through information and absorbs it all. I can't yeah. do that. It takes, I'm like, I'm reading the sentence in my head out loud when I read. <laughs> Still, <laughs> I'm reading the book to myself out loud in my head. <laughs> That's exactly how I read. And I have two kids who are speed readers, like Courtney. Like, yeah. I'm trying to describe to them. I'm like, I just listen to my own head tell me, tell myself the story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, and and they're like, no, I just. <laughs> it's yeah. no way of reading, but it's like, she it just. Is. But it's, it's what you got to do. You know, you're, you're given this and that's what you got to work with. Yep. Yep. And I still, I read a ton. I'd never thought that that would be different. But then my kids are like, no, I just, I look at the words and I absorb them and I, and they can just fly through a book. And I'm a fast reader. Like I read pretty fast, but they just smoke me. Because so they don't faster. look at individual words almost. Yeah. They just see them. And yeah, it's mind boggling to me. Yeah. It's like an octopus mind with a tentacle doing its own thing. Their <laughs> eyes are reading it, but the mind is, <laughs> the eyes are absorbing and the mind is <laughs> extrapolating <laughs> versus having to narrate it to yourself. I know. I just go to story time and I just listen to the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until your eyes hurt. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. So one question I did have for you is, so you are part of our Commonwealth school and you've led projects and like, how does that feel to be kind of the lone man doing all these things? Like you're in this very small minority of being a stay at home dad. And then now you're a homeschool dad, which has got to be almost well, unheard of. Things that give me a real like sense of this is what I'm supposed to be doing is my patriarchal blessing. It just says you will be the teacher and you're not home. It's not like you will be a teacher. It says you will be the teacher in the in your home. Yeah. So I took that as, and I didn't read, I didn't, you know, apply that until five years ago or whatever, however long ago when we started. And I was like, I read it again. I was like, oh, okay. That's what that means. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't ever really a question for me. It's like, I know it's going to be hard because I, I don't have a lot of, I don't know, like book intelligence, I guess. I know a lot of things about stuff because I had interest in it and read about it here and there on various topics, but, and I have common sense and street, you know, my drug business was really successful. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I was an entrepreneur. Yeah. 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 I did good, but, uh, it's not the same. And so one day Pierce is, 
and he, he thinks like Courtney does. And he's like, I wish you were as smart as mom so I could learn more. Oh, and man. It's, it stung a little bit, but I was like, but it was true, right? He needed more than what I could give him because he thought the way that Courtney, he thinks the way Courtney thinks. If I try to teach him a concept, it takes forever and he still doesn't get it and we butt heads. If Courtney explains it, he understands it instantly because they communicate the same on the same wavelength with their learning. Yeah. And it's just yeah, not that I mean, way. I have that with like multiple of my kids. Though, yeah, each you know, one's I, different. And so I told him, yeah. I was like, well, knowing now you know and you've said it that I can't teach you things. So what are you going to do? And he's like, well, I guess I'll have to read a lot of books and find other people. I was like, there you go. <laughs> yep. So now, this is, yeah, <laughs> that's what he does. This, this is how it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, somebody asked me once, like, how do you, how do you know your kids have had a good education and they don't have like gaps in their education? And I was like, of course they're going to have gaps in their education. Yeah. <laughs> like, you should have said, how do you know? Yeah. <laughs> how do yeah, you know seriously. your kids won't? They went to public school. <laughs> I know. And I just thought, how could we possibly assume that any situation is going to teach all the things that you, you need to know? If there were no gaps, there would be no curiosity. There would be no self That's true. Yeah. That's how you learn about anything. If there's a gap in your knowledge, you get on a computer or you get a book and read about it and now you're knowledgeable. I used to teach yeah. an edible plant class and people would be like, oh, you're an expert in this or I'd get introduced as an expert. And I would like the first thing I'd say, it's like, I am not an expert. I read one more book than you did, which is zero. <laughs> you. <laughs> and that's it. That's why you're here and I'm up here. <laughs> I was like, yeah. if you want to know what I know, this book's $12. Now let's go, go read the book. Let's go you. walk in the field and we'll talk about it. <laughs> I think that's just kind of how our culture is though. Like we, we put experts, like we love experts, right? We love somebody who knows all the things and we can just look yeah. to them instead of investigating it ourselves. I mean, you know? An expert is only someone who's had at least 40,000 hours in their field of what they're doing. And they're an expert in that and nothing else. They can know a lot of stuff about other things, but they're an expert in that field. That's what I yeah. quantify as an expert. Yeah. I think uh, Malcolm Gladwell, he's an author, and he talks about 10,000 10, hours to be proficient. Yeah. So 40,000 to be an expert sounds about right. Yeah. And that's a lot, that's a lot of hours doing the same thing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, if you had 40,000 hours on the job of building a house or framing it, you're not going to have to think about that job anymore <laughs> no that would just be automatic yeah because you're an expert <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. so we've already talked about how in general you don't like people <laughs> you don't you know you don't necessarily feel like you need like buddies am i guessing that right like because i asked you how does it feel to be like the lone man in these communities in school, yeah so it's i i find it hilarious because I'm always, you know, like that cynical part of me is always there. And I I have to bite my tongue all the time of saying something sarcastic. But I always try to do it with a straight face so they don't know if I'm serious or not. Uh, like we, we I've, were, seen, I've seen you yeah. do that. And I love doing that there because when, oh, that's how do I word it? I'll just say it. 
homeschool moms seem more emotional on average because they spend all that time with their kids. And it does kind of, I'm, I'm going to say dumb you down a little bit if you don't watch yourself <laughs> because you're tired and you don't want to deal with it. And you're like, yeah, go do this while I just zone out sometimes. <laughs> or, or you just can't have an intelligent conversation. You're arguing why you can't put your hand in the toilet water, whatever it is. And so being there with the, them, they'll say these problems. I can't remember who it was. She's not there anymore. She had longer brown hair. I can't remember. That just describes half the people there. But, uh, I know. I was like, <laughs> but she was almost in tears on one of our little meetings about how her toddler wouldn't stay in the crib and he just kept climbing out. And everyone, I can just see the sympathy on everyone's face. And I'm just like, ugh. I was like, I don't want to hear It's your problem. Figure it out. So I was like, why don't you just throw thumbtacks on the floor? And then when he gets down, he's never going to do it again. He will be trying to get in that bed and never want to get out on his own. And everyone just looked at me like I was like a monster. And I, was, and I, was like, I was like, that's the look I was wanting. That's, I, <laughs> like mission accomplished. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. That's so hilarious. Oh, you know, what's, what's funny is that, so I've been teaching the older kids for a long time. And every time I've been like in the junior school teaching younger kids, we've never worked in the same group. Like we've never had overlap. It's not till you started coming into yeah. the scholar school, the older kids and came and joined my book discussion group that we got to work yeah. together. And I was like, I get it. Why everybody talks about Zach and loves Zach? He's hilarious because you would do this exact same thing to the old the teenagers. You yeah. would say the kind of random thing, and I loved it because like that's totally the kind of stuff I would do to like wind them up. And yeah, and and they just would look at you like they didn't even know how to yeah. respond. Most to of that. the stuff I say, I don't agree with. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I know that that other person won't agree with it more. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah my kids just tell the best stories they're like zach said this i'm like yeah he's trying to wind you up he's he's looking oh, to yeah, see what yeah you're, what, to your oldest what's your oldest daughter's name i can't remember uh do you know madeline have you ever because lucy, Mad okay, lucy yeah i remember yeah. saying a few things in sierra's class and she would give me the oddest looks like how do you even <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah no she thinks you're awesome she's like zach says the coolest stuff he's like really makes me think and lucy she has we call it the lucy stare yeah because i know she exactly just, what you're like, talking about now she just looks at you with your eyebrows furled and yeah lip partially up yep <laughs> like it's like thanks <laughs> And it's so intense, like yeah. her, you know, and she's literally just thinking, like evaluating, you know, but thinking face. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, it can be unnerving to some people. She's gotten comments on it, but that she's like, no, I'm, I'm just thinking. Yeah. So no, my, my kids all think you're amazing. So my, my two kids, Greta and Sawyer were in your situational awareness class Yeah, that you did. And they loved that. Yeah. They thought Greta, that was Greta awesome. did the best out of all of them. Oh yeah. So, okay. So tell me what made that the best. Cause I mean, she just had the answers. Everyone else would sit there and be like, I don't know. Or they would say some ridiculous, uh, well, I'll just say lobster for toilet paper. Comment. <laughs> like, yeah. And I would just, I wouldn't even acknowledge their comment. 
And then You're she like, would give on. a real answer. Yeah. I don't so remember the specifics because it's been a while, but yeah, she would just give the most realistic and logical answer. Well, part of that is they've done karate for years. And yeah. so these were things that they'd already like learned, but first like explain what situational awareness is. Cause you're going to do a better job than I am. <laughs> it's just, so it comes for me, it stems from self-defense. That's where it just, it does stem from self-defense and it doesn't matter if it's whatever field of defense you choose, whether it's firearms or hand to hand, whatever it's being aware and prepared for something coming your way. So if you're in a parking lot and you have all your kids and you're loading up the groceries, you would either say, Hey, watch my back to your oldest or whichever, you know, sorry, would be a good age for that. Watch my back. Make sure no one's walks the walks up on me because you're putting a kid in the car seat. You can't watch all the time. It's just being aware when you get into my, when I get into my car, I open it and I'm looking around and then I get in and I start it and I'll lock it and I'll keep my seatbelt off until I'm driving. It's just, I'm not paranoid. I'm not always looking for a threat. It's just looking for noticing things that are out of, or out of the ordinary. Yeah. Like, like going into a grocery store and you see a homeless guy talking to himself, swinging his arms around a little bit. It's like, you, are you going to walk close to that guy or are you going to stay a few feet away and watch him? and walk in. You're not scared. You're not paranoid. You're just aware of what he's doing and his presence. Yeah. Being That's aware. really also, yeah. Just being aware, not being on your phone and looking down Yeah, is most of it. Yeah. Most people are oblivious to what's happening around them. My kids, one of them, I think it was Sawyer the other day. He asked me if he could take a knife. He has like, he has like seven pocket knives and they all have names names like destroyer oh, yeah. annihilator things like that you know he's 10 oh yeah completely normal he was yeah. he and i brainstormed some of the names and um he asked if he could take a knife and i was like yeah that's fine stick it in your pocket and he said i just really you know want to be able to defend myself if i needed to and i said what would zach say to that <laughs> so he's like well i don't know like do you know how to use a knife he's like no, not really. Yeah. And it was, was a, like, fo- a folding knife. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So then he was like, huh? Yeah. So he, you know, had this little image of himself whipping his knife out and yeah. defending himself. But most I was like, violent crime happens within three seconds. And most shoot- yeah. shootings are over. Defensive shootings are over in three to six seconds. And it's within six feet or less or 21 feet, I think, is the, the max. And it's over. So you're not going to get a folding knife out of your pocket. No. <laughs> Be like, hold really on, let not. me get my knife. In the game, the game we played in there that was the most interesting to me is because when someone has ill intent on their face or something, they're thinking about something specific, their facial expression gives them away. And so I had this plastic knife that I made and I would have them all put like heads, heads up, seven up. They'd all put their heads down and I would, put the knife into someone's hand and they would hide it somewhere and then we would all get up as soon as i said and we'd have to walk around the room and the person with the knife would try to have to stab someone and the other people would try to have to identify the person with the knife and a majority of the time they could pick out who had it because their face would give it away yeah i remember they loved that game they thought that was really interesting and i I wasn't even expecting it to that degree after a while, 
they by the fourth week they could almost instantly tell who had it. Wow, but I mean, I'm not super surprised because we're like you we can't know how to it. read each other. You know, that's what humans do; they read each other. And you can't constantly. hide those facial expressions when there's an emotion backed up behind it. Like you, yeah, that person knows he has the knife, and he has to go try and poke somebody with it. So it's already going to be a little of adrenaline of trying not to get caught. It's just things; it's subconscious emotion that you can't suppress. Yeah. So this is something that you're really interested. In. I know. I think somebody told me you've taken classes and done all these things. Do you think that comes, that stems from those years of being kind of wound up and. No, not at all. It stems it from. So I was, I got in. Do you know who Alex Jones is? No. Conspiracy theory, info wars, radio guy. It's on the internet now. Anyway, I got into him really big a long time ago and I was like, Oh, I put stuff in the water bottle, you know, all that rabbit hole got out of it since. But anyway, it was Obama was talking about taking guns away and limiting things. I was like, I wasn't even a gun guy that I'm still not. I'm more of a weapons person, get something functional and you don't need 50 of them. Uh, being told I couldn't have it. I think it was that authority figure thing. I was like, I'm going to go buy it now. Yeah. And, and so that's where that came from. And then I, I enjoy shooting. I've always enjoyed it. And just kind of stemmed very, you know, branched out from there after the seed was planted. Yeah. So then you're like anything to do with like self-defense and being able to protect yeah. yourself. It come it comes in waves in terms of interest because I only have a few hobbies. And so there'll be times out of the year where I'm really driven towards this hobby or that hobby. And it's either woodworking or firearms and self-defense. Yeah. <laughs> and so it'll, and, and exercise. And so it just goes, it uh, rotates around those three usually. Yeah. Well, that sounds normal. I mean, everybody's kind of like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why with the home, the homeschool thing, I don't, I guess reading scripture would be another one. I don't read anything other than scriptures because I feel like the time I have to read should be spent on that. Because if I don't do it, I won't read scriptures. Cause like, that's my reading for the day. If that may, that's not my time allotted. So I don't expand my field <laughs> unless I have to, <laughs> which is, yeah. you know, Whatever. I, guess. I think, yeah, I mean, we all have to kind of like pick, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, my kids come to me all the time and say, you should read this. And I'm like, guys, like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got a big list of things I'm going to be reading and working on and doing. And, you know, some things, some things will happen. So you can always tell me about it. But sometimes I'll just have them sit at the counter while I, you know, cook something and tell me the entire plot. Of that and book I, you're super excited about that I'm not I'm never going to read yeah. and then they get to talk about it because that's really what they want they just want to talk about, about this book. yeah they they want to be excited about this book you know yeah. but it's there's a lot of I think in parenting and everything where you're just kind of picking and choosing and saying well this is what I can make time for this is the most important thing and this this other thing's not going to happen yeah and for me I think there's a for me a, a degree of selfishness too it's like I should be educating myself more. But I just, if the motivation is not there to do something, people won't do it. Yeah. And well, I, and honestly, no your exception. kids are really little. Your kids are super little for like when my oldest was, what, Pierce is 10, almost 11, yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah. I did not read much of anything beyond, you know, reading to them. Yeah. There just wasn't time. You're just busy. 
So now that Pierce is old enough, he reads to the other two. So. Oh, I love that. That's my favorite. Yeah. Go read, go read to your sister. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Well, this is, this has been so interesting to finally hear, you know, beginning to end your story. And I think that a lot of people are going to relate to this, right? Cause a lot of people haven't processed all the things they've experienced, like trauma. And, yeah. You know, and to see that there's, there's a way out. And I bet there'll be people who listen who will go, Oh, I feel that same way. Yeah. And I don't advocate for drug use, but that I don't think prescription pills would have done it after hearing the horror stories of other people giving on antidepressants and having to get off of it. Like I didn't have that experience with my depression or my anxieties and that kind of stuff, whatever you want. My mental cases, it, I think that was the only way forward for me. Yeah. So it worked. It worked for me. And it, and you have the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. Now, I right? don't advocate like, kids do it at all. And I think, <laughs> yeah, that's good. no. I want to put a caveat in the description yeah, of this podcast. <laughs> it is not for kids. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on. Cause like, is this a story you've told end to end multiple times? Like you, it felt very like, one it felt familiar like yeah many. and i've thought about it a lot over the years and how you know just self analyzed yeah my my experiences in i've i've read i've read a lot of psychology books trying to just get figure out my own stuff figure out my yeah. family stuff and one of the things it says is if you can tell a coherent story of your life or experiences in your life you've processed it like you've and you're able now you're able to move on if you like jump around and it's disconnected yeah you know then you haven't like i jumped around a little bit because it was kind of it was a short process then zach well no no yeah maybe (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i am not a therapist so don't listen to me my biggest turning point when i was in alaska one night um two or three in the morning again and it was it was like representative of my life up to that point in terms of every time I would come to a crossroads to go towards the light or to the dark, I would always choose dark every time up to that point. And I knew it. And it is empowering. People don't realize that, that the other side is real too. And it can make you feel equal but opposite of how you feel with the light of things, if that makes sense. And... I was got off the boat and I'm going towards down this dirt road that I'd been down. I was like, I'll go a little further this time and see what's down here and can't hardly see anything. And there was a, a house down the road where it was all illuminated. They had a shop and it's like, I could go sleep, you know, on the outskirts of their property and have some light. Or there was a path that went up the mountain, all shrouded in trees that was complete black. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm taking that path. So I walk up there and I'm going and I fall over a rock and it felt like a really strange rock and I got all banged up and I'm on my hands and knees and I come up to my knees and I get my backpack off that was about 60 pounds at the time. And I get my flashlight and I shine it at the rock and it was a tombstone from the 1700s. It was in the shape of a cross 
and it was all had moss growing over it. And I shine it up and I was in the middle of a Russian cemetery from the 1700s, like the late 1700s. Wow. And I just remember feeling fear. <laughs> like, I don't know if it was too many horror movies or I don't know what it was, but being in a cemetery like that, you know, moss all over the rocks and it, it just terrified me. And I ran out of there and I got to the main road and I just remember thinking like, I want light. I have to have light. And at the crossroads where I came onto the dirt road from the main road, there was a big street light there. And I just remember running to that and stopping and just confusion and terror. And I just remember hearing the words in my head, pray. And so I pray. I don't remember what I prayed for, but I just remember being guided on where to go. And I ended up waking up in someone's, like right outside of someone's backyard in town. And I felt safe and I felt comforted. And that was, to me, that's, that was like, all right, God is real. And he's there. And so that was the turning point for me to start going things around. That doesn't mean there wasn't relapses throughout, you know, the rest of it. Right. But yeah. Right. That was always in the back of my mind. What I think is cool is, you know, not that long ago, you're saying you just don't remember. You don't remember a lot of things. It's, yeah. You, there are that, moments, yeah. That you, you, you know, this moment where things changed for you, that's obviously seared into your mind. I think yes, that's really cool. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's really cool you shared that. That's, I think that's awesome. Yeah, well, it's been a trip. <laughs> but I think a lot of people well, have lives like that too. You just don't know until you talk to somebody. Yeah, and most of the time people aren't going to share all the nitty gritty. Because it comes you know? back to why. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's the point? Obviously, this is a different circumstance because it was, you know, this is what we were going to do. But in a normal circumstance, even if someone asked me, I would be very vague in front of them because I'm not going to have that experience with them much longer. Like most of them, Moms at homeschool group. It's like, yeah, we're we tie everything's on the surface with most people, yeah. I think, because there's no point in developing that relationship. Well, and this quote by Brene Brown, she says that if people haven't earned your story, you don't have to tell it to them. Yeah, you know, there's no reason why you got to tell all the things to, they haven't earned it. Yeah, you know. Well, is that, and I don't know if you're supposed to have that many intimate relationships with all these people. It's like, well, you get married and that's your intimate relationship. Sure. You can have friends, girlfriends, whatever friends you're going to have, but it's never going to be that. And so it's yeah. like, what's the point in putting that much, you know, you put a lot of effort into a marriage. <laughs> oh yeah. To that point. It's like, I'm not going to, and that effort never stops. <laughs> so it's like, I'm not going to put it equal effort into that as a, you know, to a, towards a friend, even though I have a lot yeah. of friends, it's weird. Now I have way more friends than Courtney does Ex oh, yeah? exponentially more. The group of guys I go out with shooting is there's probably 20 to 30 of us. Whoa. <laughs> and some of it, there's probably maybe 10 of us that are, you know, a tighter circle that are really good friends, but yeah, yeah it's weird. Do you think it's because you have time to have friends or you just found the right group of people who want to do the same thing? Well, five years ago, just coming out of my drug-induced stupor, I was like, "I'm." you feel dumb because you are, <laughs> because you've been killing brain cells for a long time. So you are legitimately dumb for a while. It wears off. 
<laughs> Thank goodness. But, yeah. But I, I just remember praying. I was like, I, I need, I'm not wise. So I just remember praying for wisdom. And now all my friends are at least my, my probably my best friend is almost, I think he's 72. That's awesome. <laughs> all my friends are old, but what do old people have? Wisdom. Lots of wisdom. Yeah. Because they've lived through it. And I've learned a ton from the old guys and ladies I've hung around. <laughs> you just threw that in there. You barely mean it. <laughs> no, I do. There was There's a woman in our ward who I would go to her house with just other women who were doing canning stuff or, you know, like preparedness type stuff. Cause that's what I was into. And the guys I knew weren't into any of that kind of stuff. So it's like, that's, that's where I got to go to get my information. I just remember seeing the, the, uh, the husband walk by and I was with his mom cause they live on the property or in our ward. And there's like six women around the table and then me. And he just did a double take and then just shook his head and laughed. And I was like, ah, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, cool. Anything else you wanted to share at the tail end here? No, I think we covered it. Yeah, me too. This was really cool. Thanks for being willing to come on and share your story. Like, I feel honored. Like, if this isn't something you normally want to do, then thanks for saying yes when I asked you. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I was hesitant. <laughs> That's but, okay. Yeah, I think I said to Courtney, I was like, I have to talk. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but... That's part of life. <laughs> yeah, well, and I'm good at like asking questions and keep, keeping it Yeah, going. if it's just me, and that is a hard time. I, I have the hardest time giving information to people because that's not how I was taught. My, my dad never actually taught me anything my whole life. I asked him how to shave when I was 12 because I had to for obvious reasons. And I was like, how do you shave? And he goes, you'll only do it wrong once. And I did. Oh, I only gosh. did it wrong once. <laughs> that was it. And so after that, I think I just kind of took it in my head as I guess he doesn't want to teach me stuff. And so we never, oh. I learned stuff from him, but he didn't teach me anything. Like I got my work ethic from him and a lot of other personality traits. But as far as like teaching me how to build something or do, I guess I'll just say guy stuff, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it just wasn't yeah. there. But he had his own, you know, I'm sure he had his own reasons and problems. He was my age now when I was thinking these things of him. So he had his yeah. own issues he was dealing with at the time too. Yeah. I think that having that little bit of perspective of going, yeah, my parents were dealing with stuff. Oh yeah. Well, when he, when he was 12, his mom had been married a couple times, two or three times, and he lived in Alaska and he had a a boat when he was 12 and he could go camping and fishing on the ocean whenever he wanted. They had no, he had no parental supervision at all ever. And so wow. that's kind of how he, you know, that's how he learned how to parent. And what, what no he, supervision yeah, at all. And so I did, I, I, my mom was a little similar, but kind of, and they just didn't know how to handle what I was doing. And so I just did whatever I wanted. I had no limiters. So that's, yeah. And I don't do that well, with my kids because <laughs> we learn, you know, you're supposed to learn, you're supposed to learn from your parents. <laughs> that's the idea. Yeah. Don't make the same mistakes. My, that's what my parents would say as we got older. They're like, Hey, we know we screwed up. You just have to do better. Yeah. I, I just tell them there's going to be things you like about me and things you don't like about me. Don't do the things to your kids that you don't like that I do to you. Well, awesome. Thanks for being on. This was really fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you.
Thanks again to Zach for being on the podcast today. I really enjoyed hearing his story. I appreciate how honest and real he was with his experiences and his mistakes and how he's working so hard, has worked so hard to change and to grow. And I also learned how incredible his wife is, Courtney. I already thought she was a cool person, but now I know how incredibly special and wonderful she is. So next time we'll have to make sure that we have her on as well. We can get her point of view. Thanks for listening today to If Homeschool Walls Could Talk. I'm your host, Jenny Hahn, and I'm looking forward to sharing some more wonderful interviews with wonderful people like Zach in the future and appreciate you listening.